This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're in the home stretch. 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, I believe we're living in the last days. Do you? I believe we're living in the last days, and I believe the Bible teaches we're living in the last days. Because Peter said we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, And sometimes what we see on the news and sometimes what we see on Facebook and on the Internet makes us feel like, oh, man, we must be living in the last days. But like I said, Peter said we're living in the last days. And uh, many times um, the the New Testament teaches this fact. We are living in the last days. Um, So how are we to live if we're living in the last days? And. here in First Peter verses four, uh, chapter four, verses seven through eleven, we're going to look at how Peter says we are to live as people who are living in the last days. We'll go ahead and read our text. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers. A multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good servants, as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It teaches us how we are to live in the times that we live in. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, feed us by your word and give me strength as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter begins by saying, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, the end of all things is at hand is the ground upon which everything else is built here in this passage we're looking at. Therefore, the things that follow after that, it's all built on this. So Peter is saying, as I've said in the introduction, the end is at hand. It's here. It's it's so close you can touch it, right? We are living in the last days. Jesus could come at any moment, and Peter knew that back then. He could come at any moment. Um, The end is at hand, and so, therefore... We are to live in a certain way because of the fact of this fact. We, we need to recognize we're living at the end. The end is near. It's near. It's close at hand. Um, uh, sometimes we don't really think about that a lot, a lot. We think, oh, we've got plenty of time. Right? 
We've got plenty of time. We can, we can, you know, we can um, just go on living as if everything's going to keep on going forever, and, but it's not. We're, we're to live knowing that the end is near, and we need to live with the end in mind. The fact that, hey, it's, it's coming soon. Therefore, what are we supposed to do? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Um, we've got to get a grip. <laughs> we've got to get a grip. Sometimes to think of the idea of, of uh, hey, we're living in the last days might cause some people to panic, right? You know, to panic. Uh, 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 oh, the world's going crazy. Uh, I mean, did you see what the politicians did this week? Uh, the world's going crazy. And, and we might panic. We might be, be uh, uh, wondering, oh, how, how are we going to keep going? You know, they're going to take our freedom and all this kind of stuff. And we might panic. But no, Peter says, if we're living in the last days, we need to live soberly. We need to live self-controlled. Um, sober-minded. We need to get a grip on reality. Part of that reality is knowing we're living at the end. Um, however long that may be, if, if uh, he comes this week, or if he comes a hundred years ago, or if he comes another thousand years from now, or if we, our lives are a vapor, they're short. We, we, we're here and we're gone until Jesus returns. And so, um, However we look at it, whether we think of our life as just the vapor that it is or uh, the fact that Jesus could come back tomorrow, the end is at hand and that ought to cause us to be sober minded. We need to, to realize all these things that, that uh, we, we get nervous about, we get scared about in our world. It's just a passing fad in, re, in uh, relation to eternity. When Jesus comes, all this, all this rebellion against him is going to be put down. And he will put all of his enemies under his feet. Um, we need to be self-controlled. Uh, not panicking. Not um, um, living lives of, of, uh, of, of just uh, doing whatever we feel like. But we need to be... Disciplined, self-controlled, and, and because you know the end of all things that is at hand also means we need to be, you know, um, preparing for war. <laughs> Discipline, like a good soldier. Um, he says, "Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." Now, how do these things relate together? Peter had also said that husbands are to live with their lives, with their wives in an understanding way um, so that their prayers would not be hindered. Okay, this is the second time Peter is saying that we need to live in a certain way so that it doesn't affect our prayer life, so it doesn't become a, a hindrance in our prayers. If we get a grip on reality and we live soberly in self-control, that helps us know what we ought to pray for. If we're panicking, then we might not be praying like we ought to. But if we're living sober-minded, we can pray, Your kingdom come. Thy will be done as it is on earth, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. 
We can pray these things knowing that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to come and he's going to set up his will on earth just as it is in heaven. And, and, uh, and our prayers, uh, when we live sober minded, when we live self-controlled, that, that uh, helps us in our prayer life. And then, so the first thing we're supposed to do in relation to the fact that we're living in the end, living with the end in mind, is to be self-controlled and sober-minded. The next thing he tells us is, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So here's the second command. Love one another earnestly. And notice he starts this out with, above all. Okay? Above all. This is the most important thing. Okay? Uh, it, 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 when he says, well, above all, it's like, if you don't catch anything else I'm saying, catch this. This is what Peter is saying. Um, if we're living in the end, we need to love one another earnestly. Not a fake kind of hypocritical, putting on a face, treating one another uh, sweet in person, but then talking about each other behind their backs. No, we love one another earnestly. We, you know, and we live in this hostile world where the world is against us. So... Uh, How are we going to make it in this world that's against us unless we love one another from the heart, earnestly? And this is following the command that Peter's already told us back in chapter 1. Because we've been born again of 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 the imperishable seed. We're brothers and sisters. We're we're, uh, adopted into God's family. God's purpose in saving us was to create a community of people who love one another from the heart. And and because of that, above all, we are to love one another earnestly. And he then gives another reason. Okay, the first reason was the end is at hand. Now, another reason why we're to love one another earnestly is it says... Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now this can be easily misunderstood. When we hear that phrase, love covers a multitude of sins, what I think some people might hear that wrong and and think, well, if I love one another, I'm sorry, if I love people, then my sins will be forgiven. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. If I love people, that you know, somehow we got to work at loving people so that God would forgive our sins. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. I think it's more the, the way that is referenced in the passage that Tom read. You know, in his translation, it said, smart people overlook offenses. Right. Uh, if we are loving one another earnestly, then when people offend us with minor things, we're going to overlook it. Love covers a multitude of sins. If we love one another, we're not going to hold grudges. We're, going to be, we're not going to be like that unforgiving servant in Jesus' parable. You know, Jesus tells about the, and I think this is something that I bring up often, but Jesus tells about this, uh, uh, this servant who, who um, had this in, enormous debt, billion dollar debt in our day, okay? And he would have never been able to pay it off and he, he comes before the person he owes the debt to and he pleads and says, oh, man, I, I could never pay this off. Would you please have mercy on me? And the, and the person who he owes the debt to 
forgives him and lets him go. And then he goes and he finds somebody that owed him five bucks in our, our thinking. Owes him just a small amount and he mistreats him and ends up throwing him in debtor's prison because he's, he owes him this small amount. And the master finds out about it and he comes to the one who's, who we'd forgiven and says, you've been forgiven this much and you hold this little amount against that person. And he throws the man in prison until he's paid every last cent. Okay, that's what Jesus tells us we must do. We, we ought not be like that unforgiving servant, but no, because we've been forgiven much, then we ought to forgive others. If we're loving one another, well, the way the Bible calls us to, then we, our love covers a multitude of sins. We don't hold grudges. We don't refuse to forgive people. But if we really love one another, we turn a blind eye to the small sins and foibles in our brothers and sisters. And sometimes those things are just perceived. And sometimes we, we think it's something, but it's really nothing at all. Verse 9. I think along the same vein here, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's one of the ways we love one another. We show hospitality. And in this uh, time, you know, um, when Jesus sent out his disciples to go preaching, he told them not to take anything with them, right? He told them to just go and, and depend upon the hospitality of those in the towns that they would come to, right? And that's the way the early preachers of the gospel would do. They would go into a town and they would depend on the hospitality. The spread of the gospel in that day depended upon the hospitality of the believers in that community. And so it does today. We must show hospitality to one another. Invite people into our homes. Spend time with one another. Um, you know, when someone's sick, bring them a meal. Things like that. Um, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh man, that can be difficult some, sometimes. Maybe phone rings. Someone says, uh, hey, do you mind if I come over? Oh, and, and we say, oh yeah, go ahead. Come on over anytime. And then we put up the phone and we're like, ah, oh, they're coming over again. <laughs> Couldn't they get more notice? <laughs> no, that's not how we ought to be. We don't need to be that way. No, we need to, we need to always kind of uh, um, foster an attitude of hospitality, being ready for, for people to, to show them the love of Christ whenever, whenever it's needed. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's a, new, a, a recent book within the last five years or so that came out. Um, Rosaria Butterfield is the one who wrote it. She, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And... I recommend the book. Uh, if you can get a hold of it, the gospel comes with a house key. Basically, what she's saying in this book is that our in our world today, one of the most effective means for evangelism is hospitality. We're not going to get people to come to church most of the time. Uh, instead, we maybe get them to come to our house, come over for a barbecue, come over uh, to share a meal together. 
Come over and let them maybe use our washer and dryer if they don't have one. Stuff like that. Having hospitality. And that's a way we can build relationships with people and share the gospel. They're not going to come into our churches oftentimes until we've let them into our homes. So, Peter says, show hospitality toward one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Let's uh, look here. This is very similar to what Paul taught, right? Paul taught that uh, um, our gifts that we receive uh, are to be used for the building up of the body. Here, Peter is saying, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We're just the same uh, consistent teaching there between Peter and Paul here. Um, and, and, but Peter treats it a little bit differently than Paul does, um, Paul gives us this list of all kinds of different gifts. He says, um, you've got uh, um, some who are called to be apostles, some prophets, some pastor, teachers, some. And then he talks about gifts of serving, gifts of giving, all these different kinds of gifts. Peter kind of simplifies it and puts them into three categories. Peter says, um, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Good steward, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. So there's speaking gifts. And whoever serves, serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That's serving gifts. In order that everything, in everything, uh, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Um, so we use our gifts. Each one has received a gift, Right? Every Christian has a, a spiritual gift. Maybe, maybe you don't know what yours is yet. Um, but you, trust me, if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. And it says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We're building one another up. We're encouraging one another. We're, we're uh, uh, serving the body. And we're stewards of God's very grace. These aren't, aren't things that originated in us. These gifts that we have, they're, they're things that God gave us and we're using the gifts that we have uh, as stewards. We're, we're, um, um, we're His servants. They came from Him. And He gives these, these different categories. Whoever speaks, so there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts, basically. Speaking gifts, you know, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers. Those, those speaking gifts. Uh, and, and, and here, Peter tells us, if someone speaks, speaks as the oracles of God. We're not to give our own message. We're not to just come up with whatever we think might be helpful. No, we speak what the Bible says. We, we, we focus on teaching what the Bible says uh, because these are the oracles of God. When we speak, and we ought to tremble we have to come to the Word of God, whether we're a pastor in the pulpit or whether we're um, uh, street preaching or whether we're a Sunday school teacher. We ought to tremble knowing that what we're handling is God's very Word. And we have to be very careful not to get sidetracked about all kinds of other things, but instead focus on the Word. Then those who serve, 
as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Different ways we can serve. Um, taking care of building needs. Um, cooking for the church potluck. <laughs> Delivering meals on wheels. All these different kinds of serving gifts. Serving in the nursery. All these different kinds of serving gifts. All of those things, um, we are to serve in the strength that God supplies. What does that mean? We can't do it on our own. It'd wear us out. If we tried to do all these kinds of things of serving, we would, we would be empty. But here, Peter reminds us we're to be dependent on Him to give us the strength. We can't show hospitality without the strength that God supplies. We're going to be grumbling whenever we put down the phone. <laughs> we can only do that kind of thing if we, have, we serve in the strength that God supplies. And then all of those things, okay? So, I'm going to back up here. We're going to, we're going to look at the whole thing as a, as a whole. The end is at hand, so we live soberly and self-controlled. We love one another. We use our gifts, whether we speak, we speak God's word, or whether we serve. All of that so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. All of that. We are sober-minded and self-controlled so that God will be glorified. If we're in a panic... If we're all, you know, loosey-goosey, that's not giving glory to God. We're sober-minded and self-controlled so that God will be glorified. We love one another. And we overlook the flaws and foibles in our brothers and sisters so that God would be glorified. When we serve, or when we speak, we speak God's Word, not our own. So that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And when we serve, we serve in the strength that He supplies so that God would be glorified. We don't want people to look at our serving and say, man, you're such a great person. We want people to look at our serving and say, man, you serve a great Savior. All of this, all, all of these things, we're, we're living with the end in mind, and so we... We, we, we are obedient to all the things Peter is saying so that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And he ends here, to him, that is to Jesus, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Almost seems like he's ending the letter here, but he goes on for another chapter. To him. There's a, this is a doxology. It's a praise. It's a burst forth in praise. He gets so excited as he's saying um, that all of these things are done so that God would be glorified. And then he just bursts out in praise and says, To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is our King. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know that that while we live in this hostile world, while we live as strangers and aliens, as foreigners waiting for our coming king, one day he's going to come. He's going to set foot on this earth again. The dead will be raised, both the just and the unjust. The final judgment will take place. He'll put all of his enemies under his feet and we will praise him and glorify him forever and ever and ever. Amen. There will no longer be hostility that we live with, but instead he will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will no longer be any cancer, no longer be any heart disease, no longer be any coronavirus. And we will worship him forever and ever. Amen.